at the time of this recording, because these things are around forever, I'm 63 years old. I never expected <laughs> to be this old. I don't know what happened, so I don't know if you're comfortable, but you mind... How long you been around, Bob? Oh, 72 years. Excellent. In Santa Fe, New Mexico. You make it look good. Oh, you've been here the whole time. Almost, except a few years here and there I went to college in different parts of the southwest. Uh, uh, where? Oh, Where'd you go to college? Uh, Greeley, Colorado for a little bit to get my master's in education to teach special ed kids that are emotionally disturbed and... Uh, and then I taught in uh, Roswell, New Mexico, and I taught in Monta Vista, Colorado for a little bit, the uh, different kinds of special ed kids. So I felt uh, like I was right at home there with those kind of kids because I always felt like I could relate to them. I find that really touching. And thanks for thanks for your service and thanks for doing that. <laughs> let's let's get real though. The reason I know you and the reason you know me is we effed up our life with drugs and alcohol. That's that's what got us here today. And and uh, so how long have you been sober, man? Well, um, the nine years at the moment, you know, and uh, twenty years before that. But no, then, I no, I, 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 if I knew that, I'd forgotten what happened. Uh-huh. What I went. Uh, so I just uh, can. Say that I'd been uh, sober nine years right now. Yes. Uh, clean, clean and sober, spending my time uh, coming to meetings and uh, enjoying my sobriety because it's so uh, such a gift, I guess is the only way to put it. And by the grace of God, I don't know if that's the way most people see it, but uh, that's the way I see it. And I think he gave me today, sober today, he He's giving me today sober so I can help others uh, in their journey of trying to stay sober. So I'm going to dig in a little more. You and I are friends, so I can. you're not going to get mad at me. <laughs> we love no. each other too much. <laughs> but I actually, if I knew that, I had forgotten. So you went out and did a little experimentation 10 years ago or something? Is that what I'm hearing or yeah. what happened? Yeah, a friend of mine and I got invited to spend some time in Alaska. His uh, daughter and son-in-law invited us to Sitka, Alaska, so I could just enjoy the beauty of Alaska for two, um, a month, actually. Took that opportunity to go out and see what it was like to drink again. Damn it. And found out real quick that I hadn't forgot how to drink. And I also for- found out that I hadn't forgot how to over drink. Got a um, bunch of stupid uh, situations because we... We know how to drink beyond uh, control, and then we overdo it and pay the consequences for our behavior after. I like to say I left the factory with no brakes. You know, I got got a good engine, pretty good steering. I got no brakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Once I'm I'm headed downhill, forget (laughs) about it. Get out of the way. Totally. (laughs) And and, uh, the way one friend of mine puts it about relapse, he goes, the fun part's over. You you can go back and drink some more, but the fun the fun part's done. Uh, there there was a time when uh, drinking for me was fun and didn't cause many problems and didn't didn't hurt me financially and didn't make people mad at me. And that was the summer of nineteen seventy four. It ain't ever going to be the summer of seventy four again. Yep. And I found out that there was no um, limit to our. our uh, our drinking once we started, we do the fact that we known each other our whole lives. Uh, 
almost since second grade, just uh, Look at that. drank a whole the whole bottle till we couldn't stand up straight, walk straight, yeah. fell downstairs together. Even when we were celebrating the birth of his first grandchild, the night was pretty much a disaster right after oh. the first 10 drinks or so. After the first 10. See, normal people don't talk like that, Bob. <laughs> I hope you know this. So let's let's back up. Thanks for thanks for your honesty on that. I, mm-hmm. I didn't know. And I moved to Santa Fe about 10 years ago, so I've known you something like that long, um, give or take. And, and uh, you're kind of an angel. You, you were one of the kindest behind the scenes doing good stuff for people every day without telling anybody around it. I, I uh, look up to you so much in that way. And Thank you. So let me back up. Uh, Santa Fe, I'm on enough Facebook chat rooms and stuff, to, or what are they called? Uh, Facebook groups, pages, uh-huh. where people gripe about how jerks like me moved in from Texas and California and screwed this beautiful town <laughs> up. Um, what, do you, what do you think about Santa Fe in the 1960s or 70s alongside... Where, where we're at now, what do you see? Well, I think it was always a place where everybody knew each other, felt like comfortable with anybody and everybody in the school system that I went to. And when I got out and I started teaching, I enjoyed the relationship I made with the parents and with the other teachers I taught with. In those the old days, I guess you could call them old days, it was uh, kind of isolated in its own way you know we had no stop lights on Sirius Road just stop signs the the culture was still um, the culture of everybody trying to get along with each other we didn't think much about race or or anything like that we just enjoyed friendships that we made and people loved each other in special kind of friendship way and and even the crosstown rivalry uh, high schools we enjoyed just being friends um, that had that went way back when, and interesting, and there was always a little bit of a cultural um, problem between little factions. I guess you could call it in the high school, just because kids will be in cliques when they're in high school. But yep. we overcame most of that and um, made lifelong friends. With even there was uh, no social boundaries. It didn't seem like in those days. And the cars were way cooler. Yeah, they were long boats. <laughs> long boats. Well, uh, for me, it was in high school that my disease of addiction first started rearing its ugly head. Did you have the same experience? Yeah, once we got into our high school years, it became a social clique to be in a group of heavy drinkers, I guess. And we never drank a little bit. We always drank to the excess and we would go to like a a place they called the pit club or someplace like that where we all uh, went dancing and hung out with each other. And True. me and my friends just went and went to a drive-up window and tried to get um, a bottle and then pour it inside of a, a Coke uh, glass and chug it. And I guess that was the way we drank. You know, we never drank socially. We just kept chugging and shoot, taking shots until we... Um, got real shit faced, and yep. that's the this lifestyle I led. Like you were saying, Sherman, we never, um, we never ever learned not to finish a bottle off. One of my friends told me why save anything for tomorrow. 
<laughs> so that was the philosophy I was raised with through high school and in college. It became part of our social graces or status or group to have Friday afternoon clubs. And like someone was saying in a meeting today, once quoting time came around five o'clock, no holes barred. We just went to the first drive up uh, liquor store we could find and go cruise around the back roads of Santa Fe and mm -hmm. and sure. tr drink and drink and until we uh, could get home and and then our parents worried about us of course because they yeah. loved us but we signed up always tried to put on a sober appearance yeah but they knew and I guess that was just the way they just prayed that we'd never end up killing ourselves in a car wreck or anything so we just by the grace of God got through Years and years of uh, heavy drinking and never got in trouble beyond a few minor incidences with the police pulling us over and asking us to dump out our liquor and sending us on our way. And it became a part of our lifestyle to, to drink to an excess. Bob, I'm telling you, that is my story to the extent that I don't think I could change a word. <laughs> In what you just said, it literally lines up perfectly with me. What I can tell you for me next is that in my 20s, I graduated university when I was 20. I was one of those young, went through school young and fast. But by the time I was, you know, about that age, many of my friends who I'd lived with doing what you talked about, they switched it off like a TV set. They got jobs. They got married. They got on with their lives. And I couldn't. I couldn't switch it off like a TV set. I just kept going, drinking like a lunatic. By that time, where I grew up in Dallas, the uh, the drinking age was 18, and it was not really enforced. Nobody mm -hmm. nobody cared. <laughs> if you could grow a wispy little mustache like <laughs> like Pedro in, in uh, Napoleon Dynamite, you were good to go at almost any bar or liquor store. So I did feel different uh, by the time I was in my mid-20s. It was like, you know, I, you, guys, you guys go on... To your normal lives, I just can't. I got to keep doing this crazy shit. Is it is? Did you have those feelings at that time, or not really? Yeah, it was hard to turn off because I got into a relationship with my first wife that passed away from alcoholic uh, pancreatitis, and uh, Sorry. we just uh, lived life uh, to where we had to drink constantly. You know, every night till I knew I had. Uh, cut off time because I had to get up and go to work in the morning and it uh, was never uh, an option. You know, like you're saying, it was just a, after a point, it was just a habit, you know, every it like, night. It was like for me, like breathing air or eating food. There was just no mm -hmm. chance of, of quitting it. Just, yeah. just impossible. Yeah. One guy I talked to the other day said, because we were reminiscing about some of our older friends that had died from alcoholism and stuff. And he said, they they never grew up. You know, basically, he said, they discontinued till they died. And yeah, right. he said, by the grace of God, I think he was getting to that, saying that we eventually stopped because uh, we grew up and we had some responsibility. But it wasn't till, um, like I said, my wife's health declined. Then she became involved in our program here and and uh, was my mentor and and believing that God could keep us sober one day at a time. And so he um, blessed her with that sobriety first and then mm. 
blessed me secondly and it took me a long time to do the steps and do the program in a way that I could live life contently I guess is the way to that says in the book having contented sobriety is a gift that we get from um, being sincere in our efforts to stay sober I do know that I was 32 when I got sober I'm 63 now Mm -hmm. so it's almost a straight line half my life before getting sober and half after and I got I was pretty much uh, my addiction was was pretty visible by the time I was about 14 I would say mm-hmm. um, I, I was young and strong and could do a lot of things that I can't, <laughs> I can't do anymore but uh, you know I was getting loaded all the time and it's not, I don't think normal kids do that I think no. <laughs> some of us do but but it's not normal and it's, and it's I definitely feel like I've lived two lives mm-hmm yeah. And now, that, before before sobriety, it was more of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There was the the good boy who said no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and held doors open and got good grades in school. And as soon as I was away from prying eyes, getting loaded like a maniac. So, yeah. the, so I had I had the the hidden life going on when I was young. And today, I, you know, recovery has really changed that. Uh, I really feel like I'm the same person with my family with. Mm-hmm. At work, when I'm clowning around with my friends, you kind of get the same guy, <laughs> you know, because there's nothing. Was it Mark Twain who, who gets all kinds of things put in his mouth? He didn't really say, but uh, I've heard it said that uh, the great thing about telling the truth is you don't have to remember what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I led a very dishonest life before sobriety. I don't know about you. No. Well, I, I remember talking to some of my students and saying character is the way you behave when nobody's looking. Yeah. I and do when believe. I was... Nobody was looking. I was tend to choose to do what I would call as a like a different lifestyle, you know, crazy, wild. But on the other side of it, when people were watching me, I was able to uh, put on that other uh, uh, coat on and sure. face, and and everybody thought, "Wow, Bob has that demeanor of uh, really." respectable businessman and teacher and was able to function uh, in front of people except uh, at home at night when I got blasted and then I was out of control again. (laughs) Was there a lot of shame? Because there was for me. (laughs) Our special guest, Elton John, (laughs) who's one of us. You got to kill it before we get sued. That's what phones are good for. Look at you with the old John man. on your... On your <laughs> That's another one on your phone. My rocket man um, lifestyle. I do rocket uh, with students at my school, and we. Uh, I have a, a fun time doing model rockets with students. It, oh, that's why my what? wife put that ringtone on there. Little Estes Rocket Rockets? Man. Yeah, Estes Rockets. Oh, <laughs> those are great. But back to the original uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, lucky to be able to function and go to work and stay um, halfway sober and never get caught in doing uh, things that I shouldn't be doing and, and keep my head above water barely in my relationship with my wife and with my businesses and in my in my professions that I chose to do but uh 
I just am so grateful that I can say that my character now is one like you were saying, Chairman, uh, one that I don't have to put on airs for people right. and hide right. behind in the morning, you know, in the evening time, be a different person. I can just be myself and be halfway confident and uh, proud of what God has uh, be, helped me become. But towards the end of my drinking and drugging, I became a hider and very ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my body was shriveling up. And I couldn't be counted on to keep my word or to be a good, uh, to perform well in my chosen fields. And I was embarrassed and ashamed by that and, and couldn't stop. It was a terrible thing where the problem has just got this momentum that you can't, you can't get your arms around. And in your more lucid moments, you wish things hadn't gotten so, so bad and so out of control. Did you have that? Yeah, I had moments where I was really ashamed. Like I said, my wife's health declined rapidly with that uh, pancreatitis, and we'd have to go to the emergency room to help her get out of pain because it's a very constant pain type thing and face the emergency room doctor with our little daughter in tow and, Mm. and, uh, Mm. and them looking at us like, I can smell the tequila on your guys breath and and oh. saying you know what are you guys doing here trying to get your wife out of pain but you know she's very ill from pancreas problems and but you're still in here after you've been drinking and it was very uh, shameful and very hard i asked my kids you know like later on if it if they were affected by it and they would always say no no we didn't seem to be but i i still question that yeah, I just don't think they remember some of the things driving, you know, around drunk, and that's not good, you know. And I'm sure when we ever went camping with all of our friends, we had enough liquor and everything to keep us totally t- uh, fried for the weekend or whatever, and that was never enough. So it was very hard to be a, a professional and a parent and a and a business owner at the same time uh, without causing. People the wonder why I'm so hungover in the morning. <laughs> well, what happened? Well, they were just... No, I mean, when when was enough enough? Oh, I see. Um, I think it was like as I got into my mid to late 20s, my wife just said one day, um, you know, if you want to stay sober, you can stay here at the house. If you don't want to, then you have to go... Right. Somewhere else and live yeah. by yourself. And I tried that for a couple of weeks. And like uh, one of our friends said, instead of an Allah moment here in Santa Fe, I called it. A, it's like a la verga moment. <laughs> it's not a very nice word to use. But uh, it means like uh, it's one of those moments where you realize it's now or never. And so I kept telling her, well, I'm ready to get sober. And I went to treatment and then I wasn't. I liked the people in the treatment, but I didn't like the professionals in the treatment program because they didn't know how to teach us the right way to stay sober. So when I got out, I finally got into the program and started uh, living the steps, they call it, you know, not just pretending to fake it till I make it. I did it that for a long time, but then I think now I have to become interested in helping others like we do in our program and we have to learn to um, share our sobriety and like one guy asked me the other day he was asking me what do you do to keep 
help people that are out there still drinking on the street. And I said, I just invite them to the meetings, hold the door for them and get them inside the door, but the rest is up to them. But I just try to be a good example for them to see, like it says in our book, uh, we want to have people, I forgot what's that phrase, Sherman, where we say uh, we want to draw people to us. Attraction, not promotion. Yeah, Yeah. attraction, not promotion. So you went through an inpatient rehab type deal in the early 1970s, is that right? Yeah. And so they were still getting kind of the hang of it. It was was different, I think, than, than it is now 50 years on. Yeah. Yeah, they just thought you could go to pottery class and hmm. go to uh, uh, the oh. doctors were psychiatrists and they really didn't understand sobriety. It didn't seem like because I'd say, can uh, you know, go to a gym class or whatever. And they would they really weren't helping people change the way we feel inside. You know, we just uh, some of the people needed more help than they sure. were able to give them because they didn't understand how to give them that help that we well, find in the program. I went through one uh, in the 1990s in Los Angeles, and they used to call it meeting and eating because mm-hmm. it was nothing but <laughs> you get up, have a, have a you know, this and that step meeting and then go to the gym and come back and have a little breakfast, have another counseling session, have a family session, go to a noon meeting somewhere at like the, the West Side, you know, one of the recovery centers there and so on until you conked out at 10 <laughs> o'clock at night for meeting and eating. That's all there was. And I was I was thin as a mop handle when they when they got a hold of me. And as you can see, uh-huh. I, I've, I've recovered from malnutrition. I've, I've over-recovered. Uh-huh. We're working on it. Uh, you, you got sober in 12-step rooms uh, about late 1980s then? I'm trying to do the math yeah. in my head here. Uh-huh. Yeah, the... The when it really started, uh, I feel the difference in my heart and in my thinking and my, and in my soul wasn't about the nineties uh, in the late nineties because the first time around it was just I wasn't really understanding what I needed to do to okay. to grow yeah. inside and yep. change and then I got a good uh, sponsor and and then I read a lot of the book and we. Me and my my sponsor and I spend a lot of time uh, talking about it, and then I uh, made some really good friends. My sponsees, like my old best friend, and we learned to read uh, literature together and talk about it uh, weekly and uh, help each other. So many people else in the rooms every day. Keep When I go to a meeting like today, it wasn't a very big meeting, but we... Everything the person said is I could understand, and they said some beautiful stuff, and so I just tried to ingrain it into my notebook. I write it in the notebook and try to keep them. The try to remember what they said because it's hard for me to remember everything that yep. I is so beautiful. <laughs> it's like uh, just a. Uh, the neatest things to understand that each one of them has such a gift they can give me if I'm willing to open that gift and listen to their shares. And like they were saying today, we care about each other so much. Even social workers that have come in for one meeting said, I can't believe the difference that you I've seen in this group with everybody caring that much about each other. You can really feel it, you know. Which yeah, is I do really know. Neat. Let me ask you this. I'm I'm so touched by the uh, 
the part of your career that was spent helping. It sounded like maybe special needs students. Is that a way to put it, would you say? Yeah. And now here you are in your 70s. Do you get to meet some of these people that are grownups and then yeah. share, share what it's their memories of you and what their yeah. lives have become? Keep in touch with most of them. Uh, not, Do you? Well, not most of them. But, a few of them. Uh -huh. A lot of them I just hear through the grapevine, I guess you could call it, yeah. how they've uh, done or how they haven't done. Yeah. Some of them are trying to struggle to still find happiness, but that's the, a long, lifelong pursuit, and they've helped me as much as I've helped them, hopefully. Oh, and Bob. each one of those guys have touched my life in so many different ways. I was just so lucky to be able to help them for that short amount of time we were together. I, you know what? I've got the most cynical sense of humor of anybody you're ever going to meet. I'm over here getting teary-eyed. You, you are the most beautiful spirit, and oh, you've been you've been a lot of help to me over the years that we've been friends. And so, uh, uh, I want to thank you for accepting this invitation and opening up here. And uh, you're just you're just the greatest, Bob. I love you. Thank it's, you. Uh, That's a big compliment. You know, don't don't drink and don't die. Let's let's make <laughs> let's shake hands on. I'll drink to that. How about you, buddy? <laughs> that sounds good to me, Sherman. Thank you so much for right. letting me have this opportunity to. Talk with you and and share my uh, love for everybody else out there. I can't tell you how much it means. Uh, um, I love you, buddy. Love you too. Okay.